Well, good morning, everyone. So my name's Mark, if you're a guest here today. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and part of the teaching team. And you've joined us for kind of a a unique, special, it's actually a great time to visit Door Creek because it's a day where we're reflecting back on God's goodness and faithfulness to us over this last ministry year. And um, it's also gonna be a day where we continue our summer teaching series of Big Mistake Lesson Learned And we're going to look at two churches in the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to see and look at the church that literally changed the world and see how we could be like that church. And then we'll tease out a few things as we look at those churches about who we are as a church, what we're on about, what we're committed to, where we're going with God's help. And uh, so it'll give you a really good taste about who we are, a good impression about who we are and what we're on about. And it's a good reminder for those of us that call a Door Creek home. And so welcome to our Sprecher Road campus. So it's been an historic year, to say the least. And not every year is an historic year, but this was definitely that. So let me point out four things. It was our 10th anniversary of our resale store, Boomerangs, on the north side. You guys have been serving there. You've been donating goods there. And since its inception, we have been able to move and sell at great prices, good stuff that you've donated, over $2.8 million worth of stuff. Isn't that amazing? And the profits of that store go right back into community. So this year, there'll be fifty-five dollars to $60,000 of profits, and it helps fund the second historic thing that we want to talk about, and that is that we launched this new campus our third campus on the north side of Madison, just literally steps away from Boomerangs where we've been really developing lots of relationships on the north side. Now I have a campus there and there's a loving community that is loving each other and serving kids there and reaching out to others. It's a diverse campus. And one of the cool things is just recently, there's just been an influx of people from Africa, immigrants from Africa that have found their way from some of our church members whose heritage goes back to Africa as well. And so it's been neat to see uh, a church for all people just growing there on the north side. Out of that, the third historic thing is we, for the first time, actually started a nonprofit as a church. It's called Door of Hope. It meets in that same location. In fact, we call that space the Door of Hope Center. And the mission of Door of Hope is to see the kids and their families flourish, the kids on the north side of Madison and their families flourish in all the ways that God would intend. So not just academically, but socially, emotionally, physically, but also spiritually. And so we're really excited that this year we were able to launch some great programming for kids, especially middle school kids. So we launched a STEM program, if you don't know what that stands for, science, technology, engineering, and math. And then in the second iteration, we added STEAM, the A, the arts, And then this summer, we've had a summer enrichment program. So almost 60 kids that we've been able to serve and their families as we're just getting started on the north side through the Door of Hope Center there and the work that we're doing through that nonprofit. And then the last thing is, uh, historic, is that we are able to build and move into our new campus. You saw it there on the video up in DeForest. So 20 years ago, you guys, there was two families, the Ziegler family, the Haswell family. 
that thought about and began to dream about having a church on a piece of property that belonged to the Haswells and then Dwight Ziegler actually developed that property and they came to us, not members of our church, to say we would love for you guys, Door Creek, to build a church on that hill. And so that actually happened this last year. And that donated land worth over a million dollars became like this high ground, beautiful place in the midst of this exploding new neighborhood. And when we opened the doors, you saw it there on Christmas Eve, we were blown away that 900 people came out, a lot of those people from the community. So that campus has doubled since we built that new facility, moved in, and we're really excited about Ryan and the team and the wonderful volunteers up in DeForest that are reaching so many people that need Christ up there in the northern parts of Dane County and beyond. So a lot of really historic things. Every year isn't like this, but a lot of things came together. But it's also good to remember, in the midst of a lot of things kind of historically coming to the fore, that lots of the main things that we do week in and week out continue. So it's just kind of good to remember, every week, we ministered to over 500 children and students at our three campuses. And you guys are loving on those as you serve in kids' ministry. You're loving on our students as you're a small group leader, perhaps, in our student ministries, and pointing them to Christ. And it's huge for those of us that are raising our kids and those of us who have friends whose kids, you know, aren't part of a Christian home and learning about Jesus. So thanks for all the ways that you have served in this place. And it has been a great year. And I know it's a great year, not just because of the staff that I get to work with every day, but because of all of you. We have over a thousand people who regularly are volunteering to make something happen here at Door Creek that's helping us reach more people for Christ. So today, our... Uh, our big mistake and our lesson learned comes from two ch churches in the book of Acts. One's the church of Jerusalem. They make a big mistake, and the lesson learned is from the church at Antioch. So grab your Bible. We're in Acts chapter uh, 1 here as we begin. And as you're turning to Acts, you might need the table of contents. It's towards the back after the Gospel of John before Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, let me connect some dots in the Bible's story to remind us or for some of us, it's, we're just new to the Bible story. So the Bible opens with creation. God creates us for a relationship with him. And he blesses that relationship with children. And he says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to fill the earth with my image because we're created uniquely in God's image. And I want you to bring my blessing. And I want that blessing to extend all the way through, not just because it's a big world that needs to be taken care of, but I, I want my image to be reflected in you all across this world that I've created for you. And so they had this just blessing of God and this great relationship with God and with each other, but that all changed when Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God and thought they would be better gods than God, and then the curse comes in. And then from that point on, God is working out his plan again to bring blessing to all the families of the world. So the next key dot is this guy named Abraham that we meet up with in Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham doesn't have kids. He and his wife Sarah are barren and fertile. And God says, I'm going to give you kids. And I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that 
all the families of the world will be blessed. His program is back in motion. When Jesus comes and gives the marching orders to the church, he says this in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. All authority has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples, followers of all nations, followers of me from all the nations, because God's blessing is to go to all the families of the world. Jesus says, make followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, wherever you go, I'm gonna be with you to the end of the age. That verse, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that is really the foundation, the scripture that lies behind and underneath our own mission statement. So here's our mission statement. Here's what we're on about as a church. Joining God in changing people into devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. Or shorthand is this. Our desire is to just see more people become devoted followers of Christ. So Jesus gave those marching orders before he died. And then after he died, in Acts chapter 1-8, before he rose from heaven, he again reiterated that marching order with these words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, The ends of the earth is just the equivalent of, yeah, make disciples of all nations. And what Paul is, what what, uh, Jesus is doing here as he commands his church, us, to be witnesses, is he takes us through the concentric circles. So let me show you in this map. In this map, here's Jerusalem down here. It's really hard to see, but trust me, it's down there. And then if you draw a circle around that first circle, second circle around Jerusalem, that would be Judea. And then going out further, you, you hit Samaria. And then further on, then, you get the ends of the earth. So he's saying, Jerusalem, just go make sure that the people that you live with and work with and play with, that they hear the good news in your own city. But not just your own city. Go beyond your own city. So it'd be like Jerusalem is our Madison, and Judea would be our Wisconsin. And the significant thing about Samaria is, I'm actually asking you to take it to people that you would rather not hear the good news. You'd rather them be under God's judgment than receive his mercy. So, I mean, how in the world do you translate that in our day? I think it's Chicago. <laughs> so, Chicago is our Samaritan. Now, if you're visiting from Chicago, I'm from Chicago. So I have to poke fun at Chicago. That's why I still have a job after 13 years. All right. So that's how we do it here. So Samaritans, though. But remember, Jesus, when he meets with the Samaritan woman, right, in John chapter 4, it was like a big deal that he was even in Samaria. The Jews would typically walk around. The Samaritans were the hated half-breed. They were the people that did get dragged off into exile, and they intermarried with the people that came down from the conquering empires, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so the Jewish people saw them as hated half-breeds. So take it to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now, this is where the problem comes. And it starts out and you go, man, it's a really a good problem. Because the church in Jerusalem was a sweet place. It was 
a powerful place. The church explodes. Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching. 3,000 people give their lives in faith to Christ. And so, man, things are going on, and the community that they're experiencing is really, really sweet. And my, may I add the word, very comfortable. And so it's really hard. The mistake that we're going to see in the church of Jerusalem is they like Jerusalem so much. Why? I mean, I, when I describe Jerusalem, we're all going to go, of course they stayed there. Why would you want to leave? So we read this in Acts chapter 2 about that church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. Listen to this. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is a powerful place. This is a beautiful place. They are experiencing just some sweet community where there literally wasn't anybody in the church that had a physical, a spiritual, a financial need where the church wasn't doing all that they could to meet those needs, even if it meant selling property or selling some, uh, you know, a field to give that money to the apostles so that they could meet those needs. And when we read the, the, the description of the church of Acts, it reminds me of the things that we're committed to of our values. So what are we committed to? A life of worship, worshiping God in all of life. They were doing that as they did life together and as they worshiped God and did life in community. We talk about the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? Our Old Testament. They were teaching that, right? We talk about the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. The richness of community, growing together in Christ, right? They met, they broke bread together, they met like daily. They, they were really tight and connected. A joyful witness, sharing and living the good news. Our value, they were doing that. People were continually being added to the church. Compassionate service, humbly extending Christ's compassion to those in need. They were doing that. Acts chapter 6, the church of 120 grows to 3,120, and the apostles go, man, there's so many people. There's so much need. There is no way we're ever going to be able to get a message ready and devote ourselves to the word and teaching and prayer. And so they actually train and set apart these seven deacons like Barnabas and like Stephen that we're going to meet in our message here today. And so intentional training is our commitment to prepare and release you and other people for ministry. And then we've got persistent prayer, devoting ourselves to pray continually. They were devoted to prayer and contagious generosity, excelling in the grace of giving. And man, did they model that, even selling their land and their property so that the needs of the church would be met. So what follows is uh, this sweet time is followed with opposition. Chapter 5 the apostles are jailed by the religious leadership that wants to squash Jesus' followers. Chapter 6, a guy named Stephen, he is arrested. Chapter 7, he is stoned to death, the very first martyr of Christianity. And what happens after that is what we read in chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, that's the day that Stephen 
was viciously murdered for his faith, the very first Christian martyr. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. In other words, the apostles stayed at ground zero, Jerusalem, and then all these believers start scattering. And where do they scatter? Notice, throughout Judea and Samaria. We're going, that's Acts 1.8. That's exactly where he told them to go, to Judea and Samaria. So he's using even persecution to get the church out of their comfort zone to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him, but Saul, we'll run into this guy later who's renamed Paul, uh, Saul, this Jewish leader, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, Saul, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, so remember who stayed? Who stayed? The apostles, the leadership. But those who were scattered, whoop, oh, yeah, here we are. Those who'd been scattered, they preached. Who were scattered? The people. What did they do? Preached. You have never thought of yourself as a preacher. Man, it's so good to be around a bunch of preachers today. Because you just thought I was the preacher today. But we're preachers. Preaching is just this, this declarative thing where we're, we're telling others about, about the good news that, that's what we're doing. We're, we're heralding the good news. And so the church preached the word wherever they went. So where did they go? We read about that in Acts chapter 11. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia. Though, so that would be along the, the Mediterranean coast, Cyprus, up in the Mediterranean island where Barnabas is from, and Antioch. Okay, so we're, we're hearing about Antioch up to the north, this Roman city, the third largest Roman city in the empire, spreading the word only among the Jews. So the, the movement has focus on the Jews, and the message is to the Jews is, Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph and Mary, right, from Nazareth, he is Messiah. He is the promised Savior that we've been waiting for. So they're going to the Jews, but some of them, however, men from Cyprus, like where Barnabas was from, and Cyrene, northern Africa, went to Antioch, and they began to speak to the Greeks, to the non-Jewish people, to Gentiles, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now we're not just seeing the expansion of the gospel geographically, but it's going from kind of just reaching Jewish people who have this understanding of a, of a promised Messiah to people who don't have that Jewish background, who don't have that hope in this coming Savior that are learning that Jesus Christ isn't just the Savior for the Jews, but for all people. And they're coming to faith, and this is like, this is like blowing the categories. So in chapter 8, when Philip, one of the uh, deacons, goes out and starts preaching in Samaria, and people in Samaria are coming to faith, the, the, this, the apostles are going, wait a minute, like Samaritans? God is saving Samaritans? Is this true? We got to check it out. John, Peter, go check it out. They come back and say, yeah. 
they put their faith in Christ, and they too have received the Holy Spirit. So when they find out the people in Antioch have come to faith in Christ, they go, Barnabas, you're kind of up from that area. You go and check it out and tell us what's going on. In chapter 11, verse 23, we read this. When he, Barnabas, arrived in Antioch and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And then he went and got Paul, who he'd already met before. This guy named Saul, who meets Jesus on his way to persecute the church and becomes this great missionary, apostle to the Gentiles. Barnabas goes, oh my word, here I am up in Antioch, all these Greek Gentile people, and I know the guy. He's just up the road in Tarshish, and so he goes and gets Paul. He brings him back to Antioch, and he and Barnabas and some other leaders of the church, they teach the church for a year, and it's all awesome. And now we begin to meet this church that I would describe as the church that changed the world. And here's what we know about the church that changed the world. That if your, if your heritage is African, if it's Asian, if it's European, uh, if it's uh, from the Middle East, uh, your spiritual heritage actually has a connection point with this church because this is the church that ends up bringing the gospel to the world. This is the church that changed the world. And the church that changed the world, we're going to note, is a church for all people. That's a phrase we use all the time. But it wasn't just for all people. It was a church of all people. It was diverse in its representation, not just in the people that were part of the church, but as we will see, the leaders that led that church. And it was a church that had a heart to reach and bless all people for Christ, the church that changed the world. We read about this church in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we read about the leadership of the church. And what we see about the leadership, it's diverse. In chapter 11, we realize that this is the first place that people were called Christians. You know what Christian means, literally? Little Christ's. These are little Christ. It may have been sarcastic when they titled the Christians in Antioch, the Christ followers in Antioch, little Christ. But obviously for 2,000 years, that word has stuck. Um, we don't use that word so much at Door Creek. We talk more about Christ followers because for some people, being a Christian just has to do with, I was born in a Christian country. It has to do with where you're born. We don't, we don't think it has to do with that. We think it has to do with our relationship with Christ, being a Christ follower. So they were the first group, first church called Christians. And here, here's what we notice about their leadership in Acts chapter 13, the first three verses. We uh, see the leaders described in not just by name, but by kind of their nationality, their ethnic connection and heritage. Barnabas was this Hellenistic Jew from the island of Cyprus in the middle of the Mediterranean. Simeon, called Niger, which literally means black in Greek, uh, likely an African. That's what most scholars believe. Lucius, for sure an African, North African, from Cyrene, modern-day Libya. Menaean grew up with Herod Tetrarch in Palestine. Very likely, actually, Herod's family lived and did life mostly in the area that we would call Samaria today. And then Paul is this educated Jew from Tarshish who also was 
a Roman citizen. So you got two Africans, a guy from the Mediterranean, a Middle Easterner, and a guy from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, part of the church that changed the world. A church for all people, made up of all people, in leadership and of the people. They had a compassionate heart. So there's a story in Acts where this guy named Agabus gives a prophecy to the church in Antioch about their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And he says, man, some hard times are coming for the church in Jerusalem. They're going to go through an extreme famine. And so the response of the church is, Paul, man, we want to take up an offering. We want to give some of our resources to the church in Jerusalem as an expression of our love because we're one. We're family together. This is huge. So it was a compassionate, it was a generous church, and it was a sending church. So it says in verse 3 that after spending the night in prayer and fasting that the Holy Spirit led the church in Antioch to send Paul and Barnabas to go reach the people who yet do not know Christ, not in their city, but to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what I think. If, um, If you and I were in Antioch and we heard that at the next worship service that the Holy Spirit is going to send Paul and Barnabas away, we're going to go, are you sure you guys got that right? Because, like, they're our best teachers. And, like, the other guys are okay, but, man, are you serious? You're going to send our best? No, they were all in. And so the question is, why were they all in on the mission when the church of Jesus in Jerusalem needed persecution to actually move out? What was different about the church in Antioch. Let me point out a couple things that I think definitely were in play. Because I would say that was just as sweet a place. That was just a powerful a place. Come on, Paul, he's his like gospel stud and he's right in the midst and you're ready to send him out. So here's what I think happened. Look, the church in Antioch became Christ followers because people went and told them. Like they're a long way from Jerusalem. So the only way that they're in God's family is because people sacrifice their own comforts to come tell them. So they were very aware of that. And then they were people who represented all these different geographic places that represent the nations. And they're going, man, I want my family back in Africa. I want my family back in Cyprus. I want my family back in Asia Minor to know about Christ as well. And so... They were willing to do that. They they get it right, this church that changed the world. They were a healthy church, and healthy churches prepare and release God's people for ministry. I sometimes chuckle when one of our staff members, following God's call, goes to another place. So I get it, like we're family, and it hurts, right, when someone leaves. But like this this is what healthy churches do. We raise up people like you guys. So, you know, I'm thinking of Bev, who was just out leading Connecting Point. Bev was, she was a volunteer at our office when I came here. And then we went, man, Bev, you're awesome, man. We got a job here. Would you ever want to come on staff? Yeah. She came on, she's an administrative staff person. Man, Bev, you were just 
you're awesome. Could you like lead groups? Yeah, I'd love to help. So she's leading groups and now she's like my right hand, executive path. We're preparing and releasing. So we're preparing and releasing her for greater ministry in this place, but sometimes we're preparing and releasing people to, to go off. I, I'm looking at people right in this place who part of God's leading their life led you to another part of the world to be missionaries for Christ. So this is what healthy churches do. Antioch's a healthy church, and so they're sending out their best, Paul and Barnabas, to go tell other people about Christ. And what was going on in the church at Antioch reminds me so much of our vision, our desire. Here's how we put it. Our desire by God's grace is to be a Christ-centered church for all people, where the power of the gospel is continually changing things, transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. That's our desire. And that was the church in Antioch, the church that changed the world. Our heritage spiritually goes back to Antioch, not just to Jerusalem, but the church that was willing to take the gospel to Europe and Asia and Africa as well. So as we kind of wrap it up, the question obviously is, has this beautiful, powerful message of the gospel taken hold in our life? Is it transforming our lives to love Christ more, to love the world that he came to die for, to be engaged in his mission? Have you actually done that? Maybe you, a religious person, you've been in churches all your life, but you've never heard about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We talk about that all the time. We were created for that. We find our greatest joy and peace and security and identity and purpose in our relationship with Christ. Have you done that? Have you placed your life, your trust in Christ and him alone? Because if you have then we've got to take Christ's words serious. We've got to go. And that may not mean to move right now to another location, but wherever we move in this community that God has called us to, we need to go understanding that we're Christ's hands and feet. And we have the awesome privilege of pointing people to Christ. And one day, we'll have the awesome privilege of just seeing how we had a part in somebody else's life. You know, sometimes we get views of that. Sometimes we just have to trust that God's doing stuff in the relationships we have. Last week, I think it might have been right after this service, a guy came up to me and he wanted to introduce himself and I could tell he was visibly moved. It's very emotional. He introduces himself to me and says, I'm not from this church. In fact, I don't live in this city. I'm here this weekend to celebrate my brother's 50th birthday. My wife and I are uh, going through a divorce and it's just super painful and hard. We've been texting on and off this weekend. She's actually driving down to the Carolinas. And uh, when you began to speak last weekend about the mistake, the sin of passivity, man, God was just, just working over me because this is the very thing that my wife has been talking to me about, about passivity in our marriage. And so in the middle of the message, I texted my wife. I told her, I'm committed to working at our marriage. 
that I love you. And when I get home, um, I want to talk to you about what God's doing because I just heard something that we need to talk about. And I want you to know I'm putting my wedding band back on. He asked me for a copy of the message. And I sent it to his email. And Monday morning, he sends a message back. And he says, you know, I've talked to my wife. And we're commit- it's, it, we got a lot of work. It's, it's got a lot of hard work, he said. But we are both committed to reconciling. And so we just praise God because we don't always get to see that, right? The church in Antioch is going to have a party in heaven because there's going to be people from all around the world that are going to go, man, you guys, I'm so grateful that you sent Paul and Barnabas. I'm so grateful that you love Jesus enough to go with the gospel and my, my family intersects. And you know what? Over the last uh, 13 years that I've, I've been part of this wonderful place, I'm thinking that in heaven, you guys, we're going to meet people from a place called Sumpango, Guatemala. And we've had a part in their faith journey in coming to Christ. We're going to meet people in Haiti. I'm, I'm thinking about this family that our students built a house for. You probably didn't hear the story. The, the father and his young son were literally days away from walking to America so that he could get a job so he could finally get a roof over his family's head because he couldn't provide for his family there in Honduras. And so the church found out about this guy. He wasn't part of the Great Commission Church there. He wasn't part of it. But he, he, uh, he received this house and it means this family was able to stay together and they have this like new taste of God's kindness and goodness through our partner church there. And our hope is that like we get to meet this guy, that our high school students will meet this guy and his kids and maybe his grandkids in heaven and connect the dots and go, you guys had a part of my life. And maybe it's a family on the north side or up in northern part of of Dane County that, that comes to faith through our campus up in DeForest. Or maybe it's someone at Pine Ridge that we've been serving with, one, one of our partner schools. I, I, I don't know, from Rwanda maybe. You know, all I know is um, it's gonna be an amazing thing to connect with someone that our lives have something in common with and it's the gospel and our stories intertwine in God's greater story. So it's just in a small way, in a different way, though. That happened yesterday at the block party. I'm walking down to just say hi to some of our volunteers and thank them for serving. And I see one of the people that has set up this bike repair place. And uh, nobody's there, but he's there. And I'm going, how cool is that? This guy has this mobile bike repair thing. And he's here at the block party to help kids or anybody around Mendota School fix their bike for free. Well, I love biking. I got to go talk to this guy and thank him for coming. And, and I meet this guy. Here, here's a picture of me. And, and his name is Pepe. And Pepe's from Chile. And I'm talking to him about biking. He tells me about these nonprofits that he's trying to get free bikes to kids that don't have bikes. And he just got a job with the city. And he's working, you know, with bike and traffic. And I'm just going, this is awesome. My wife and I, we love biking. And man, we got two boys in Milwaukee. They're totally into biking. Like they do life on bikes. They started a nonprofit called 100 Days of Biking. And he goes, you're Peter and Luke's dad. (laughs) And I go, 
I used to live in Milwaukee. I know Peter and I know Luke. And, And it was just like this happy reunion, you know? And what a greater reunion would be if I one day meet Pepe in heaven, right? And so God's giving us relationships in real time. There's people in our families that need Christ. There's people that you like rub shoulders with at school, at work, every day that need Christ. There's someone down the floor of your dorm or your apartment building, condo, or next door in your cul-de-sac around the corner. Someone that always gets you a coffee in the morning that needs Christ. And so may we be the church that changes the world starting from our Jerusalem. And then as God leads us and continues to bless us with partnerships that we can go to the Judeas and the Samarias and to the ends of the earth. So what I'd like you to do as we close out today is grab your bulletin, a piece of paper or a phone where you can write down three things. Number one, the category is list a person of someone who's far from God that God has placed in your life that's part of your extended family, a family member. And you might have a bunch of them right now and you don't know which is the right one, but you just write down as many as you can think of. Number two, someone that you work with or go to school with. And number three, someone from the community, a neighbor, someone that you, you frequent their business or somehow you're, you're in some kind of a club together or work out together, something like that. And what I want us to do is, you know, with God's help, just who are the right people that we're supposed to put down? Like right now, I don't have three. I've got like, I've got lists of names, but that's what I'm be praying about. Lord, just let me know. Let me know who it is. And then I want to start praying specifically for that person. And then we want to look for opportunities just to serve. The Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4, the kindness of God leads to change. And the change that the Bible is talking about is a heart change that brings us to a relationship of where we're related to God. Our Father, we're kids of the Father. So where can I be kind? How can I be kind to these different people? Kindness is powerful. And then, you know what? Where God gives us an opportunity to be a witness. And that is just to point people to Jesus. You go, I can't be a witness. Like, I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know anything about, you don't need to know anything about the Bible right now. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about what he's doing in your life? That he's God's son, that he died for you, that he's changing how you see yourself, how you deal with your past, how you deal with hard things now, your hope for the future, your purpose today, the joy you have in Christ, which is different than the happiness the strength he gives us and all that. You start just pointing to what Jesus is doing in your own life, in your family, at work, at school, in the community. And so this year, let's be that church that changes the world. A church for all people, we always say that, that is made up of all people. That is true, Door Creek. And it's not just defined that way ethnically. That's true Because we've got young and we've got old. We've got women and we've got men. We've got people that have challenges with some disabilities. And we've got the rest of us that don't know what our challenges are, right? We've got people that are highly educated. We have people that aren't, 
you know, highly educated. We got people that are very affluent. We got people who are scratching it out, trying to make it this week, paycheck to paycheck. We have people who are married. We have people who are divorced. We have people who are single. We've got a diverse group. We are a church of all people. And now God give us a heart for all people, starting right here in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So let's reach more kids and more students this year. Let's reach more people who are seeking Christ and coming to our Alpha programs and our Christian Explained programs who are coming on the weekends here to hear about the love of Christ. Let's serve more people at work and at school. Let's serve more people through our church. We are really excited, you guys, to kind of change the paradigm on serving this next year. We kind of typically have these big events, right? We have Serve Day, we got the meal pack, we got the Christmas stores, right? We got, we got these big events. Well, we're going to continue doing some of those great things. But in addition to that, we also are going to have something called Serve Now. On our website, you can click on Serve Now, and any week there will be a list of opportunities that you, your friends, your family, your life group, your ministry team could go, oh, we're connecting to that. We're all over that. We'd love to do that. We can do that this Thursday night at XYZ Ministry, all right? And our partners in the city. So Serve Now, coming later this fall, that gives us an opportunity to humbly extend Christ's compassion to those in need every day of the week, 52 weeks, 365 days. We're really excited to be moving in that way and just having us serve our city day in and day out. So um, with God's help, let's be that Christ-centered church for all people. We've had a great year, but that's now behind us. With God's help, let's have a great year. I want this year to be a great year for you spiritually, for the people that God wants you to serve and point to Christ. Let's pray. So Lord, we just confess um, we love comfort our comfortable places often more than the people that you've called us to serve so forgive us for that keep giving us more of your heart Jesus we're so grateful that you didn't just do this by example but Lord this is who you are you, you are our savior who sacrificed not just the comforts of heaven but your very life here on earth to give us hope and life and forgiveness and mercy. So grant faith, maybe to someone who's trusting you for the first time today. Grant faith, Lord, and a curiosity to the friends that we have just noted, Lord. Help us to, to embrace the greater joy of joining you in this work and being part of your greater story of drawing all people to yourself through Christ. Help us to be that church, Lord, that changes the world for your honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen.